Blog Talk Radio. The Four Persons Inc. is a federally registered and licensed 501c3 charity. Any use of any of our content without our permission is prohibited by law. Our purpose is evangelization, education, and social action. Please go to our website at thefourpersons.com or our blog site at thefourpersons.net to make your tax-deductible donation by credit or debit card. You can also send a check to The Four Persons, Inc., P.O. Box 11214, Manassas, Virginia, 20113. To contact us, send us an email at email at thefourpersons.com. Listening to the Four Persons Show on Blog Talk Radio. We are your enthusiastic and faithful Catholic apostolate. For more information about what we do, go to our show page at thefourpersons.com and our blog site at thefourpersons.net. To call in tonight with your comment or question, dial 515-602-9655. The number, again, is 515-602-9655. You don't know me, but I'm your brother. I was raised here in this living hell. You don't know my kind in you. Very soon, the time will tell. Tell me the 
everybody. God bless and welcome to another episode of Taking It to the Streets here on the fourpersons.com. If you want to call in, the number is 515-602-9655. Without further ado, let us get started with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Soul of Christ, sanctify me. Body of Christ, save me. Blood of Christ, inebriate me. Water from the side of Christ, wash me. Passion of Christ, invigorate me. O oh, good Jesus, hear me. Within your wounds, hide me. Permit me not to be separated from thee. From the wicked foe, defend me. At the hour of my death, call me and bid me come unto thee, that with thy angels and saints I may praise thee forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Tonight, I'm going to be talking about the difference between motivation and self-discipline. But what I would like to do first is read one chapter, and this is from uh, St. Louis de Montfort, True Devotion to Mary. Through the Immaculate Virgin Mary, Jesus Christ came into the world. Through her, he will reign over the world. Mary lived in obscurity during most of her life. Her humility was so great that she desired to hide not only from all other creatures, but even from herself, so that only God should know her. She asked him to conceal her and to make her poor and humble. God delighted to hide her in her conception, in her birth, in her mysteries, in her resurrection, and in her assumption. Her own parents did not know her, and the angels asked, Who is she? The Most High, though he revealed something of her perfection to the angels, kept infinitely more from them. God the Father willed she should work no miracle, at least no striking one, in her life. He had given her the power to work tremendous miracles. God the Son was content she should she should speak but a few words yet he had endowed her with his wisdom and god the holy ghost arranged that his apostles and evangelists should say little about her no more than enough to make christ known yet she was his beloved spouse mary is god's masterpiece whose full splendor he has revealed for himself, reserved for himself. She is the admirable mother of the divine son who took delight in humbling and hiding her, favor her sweet humility. He called her woman as though she were a stranger, yet she was dearer to him than all men and angels. She is sealed she is the sealed fountain, the faithful spouse of the Holy Ghost. She is the sanctuary, the resting place of the Trinity. God dwells in her more wonderfully, more divinely than anywhere else in the universe, including the, re the regions occupied by the angelic hosts. And no creature, however pure, is admitted to that sanctuary except through a great privilege. 
with all the saints, I say that our mother Mary is the paradise on earth where the new Adam took flesh through the operation of the Holy Ghost that he might work there wonders beyond all understanding. She is the great, the divine uh, world of God where lie beauties and treasures one cannot imagine. She is the magnificence of God. What grand and secret things God has worked in her. Even she must admit it. He that is almighty hath done great things to me. The world does not know these wonders. It is unworthy of knowing them. It is incapable of understanding them. The saints have said many beautiful things about Mary, the holy city of God, and never were there more eloquent than when they spoke of her. Yet they realized that the heights of her merits could not be glimpsed, for they reach up to the throne of God. They knew that the width of her charity could not be measured, since it is broader than the earth. They know that there were no limits to her power because she has power over God himself. They knew that the depths of her humility and of all her other virtues and graces could never be fathomed. Oh, height beyond our understanding. Oh, wit beyond all words. Oh, greatness beyond all measures. Oh, depth beyond all human thought or comprehension. Every day throughout the world, in the higher, in the highest of heavens and in the lowest pits of hell, all things proclaim and preach the wonders of the Virgin Mother. The nine choirs of angels, the people on earth, even the devils themselves have to call her blessed. So great is the power of her truth. The angels in heaven, according to St. Bonaventure, never stop calling to her. Holy, holy, holy Mary, Virgin Mother of God. A million times a day they give her the angelic greeting. Hail Mary, honor them with her commands. Saint Michael, the prince of the heavenly host, is the most eager to pay her homage. Saint Augustine says, and to run her errands. The whole earth is filled with her glory. Cities, provinces, dioceses. And great nations are placed by Christians under her care and protection. Cathedrals are dedicated to God in her name. There is no church without an altar in her honor. There is no district or country without some miraculous image of her. Without some place in which she heals all kinds of ills. In which she distributes all sorts of blessings. There are countless organizations that honor her. There are many religious orders sharing her name and her motherly love. Religious men and women constantly sing her praises and proclaim her mercies. Little children just learning to hail Mary praise and love her. Even the most hardened of sinners have some spark of confidence in her. And yet with the saints, we must truthfully confess that there is never enough about Mary. We have not given her enough praise, enough glory, enough honor, love, or service. She deserves much more honor from us 
greater admiration, better service, and far more love. Earth vies with heaven to glorify her. Yet we must say with the Holy Ghost, all the glory of the king's daughter is within. The glory given her by angels and men is as nothing compared to that which she receives from her maker. Glory the little creatures do not know. Who can penetrate the secrets of the king? The eye has not seen, the ear has not heard, nor has the heart of man known the beauty, the treasures, and the wonders of Mary. She is the miracle of miracles of grace, of nature, and of glory. She is the worthy mother of God. If you want to understand the mother, try to understand the son. Let all tongues be silent here. My heart directed these words. I wrote them with a special joy to show that our most holy Mary still remains unknown. This is partly the reason why we do not know Jesus Christ as we should. He will be known, of course, and his kingdom will come. This is certain. This will happen only after the Blessed Virgin is known and has begun to reign. She gave him birth the first time. She will bring him forth when he comes to us again. I'll try to read a little bit of that going forward uh, before each show. So tonight I want to talk about self-discipline and motivation. Self-discipline doing what we'd rather not do or not doing what we would rather do because that is the greater good. Before I get started, I'd like to point out that sin, all sin, is disordered, unnatural. Regardless of of what the world tells you, in our perfect state, Adam and Eve were created sinless. So this topic will be on on self-control, on self-discipline, the necessary virtue to defeat sin. Second uh, Corinthians says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Not sinning is not a good deed for which we should expect some type of reward. We should not sin because it is the wrong thing to do. It's wrong to do so. What parent would seek to reward their child because they didn't they didn't steal a car today? This, this fallen world of pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, and sloth are glorified as as good. And humility, charity, chastity, gratitude, temperance, patience. And diligence are considered bad. Self-discipline, from a Catholic perspective, is the routine and consistent denial of acts that, while pleasing to the flesh, are not good for the soul. The routine and consistent act of deliberately doing good, when doing good is not pleasing or is even sometimes painful 
to the flesh. Unlike many of our Protestant uh, brethren, I, I will not tell you that, that you will be rewarded uh, for doing good, given a prize, as it were, for, for not sinning. We are supposed to do good. We are supposed to avoid sin and every near temptation to sin. Our reward will be when we hear Jesus say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Self-discipline will help us get there. What is the difference between self-discipline and motivation? Self-motivation requires an active initiative to continue a task or activity without another person overseeing it, whereas self-discipline is the ability to pursue something despite how tempting it may be to abandon it. Put another way, motivation is temporary, but discipline perseveres. Motivation fades after time. But discipline grows. Motivation is an event, but discipline is a lifestyle. Motivation starts the project, but discipline finishes it. Discipline. The rule over all of our given passions, fears, dreams, thoughts. It, It can be, if simply taken for itself, a dangerous thing. We can be stoics who concede self-discipline somehow as as an end in itself, whereas it is really the, the prerequisite for sin and loving what is not ourselves. Self-discipline can, can become a form of pride in which we attribute to ourselves complete mastery over ourselves with no willingness to guide ourselves to ends that are to be served or people to be loved. Nonetheless, our our bare selves are objects to ourselves. We recognize that our ability to accomplish anything at all begins with some realization that we must take control of ourselves. We must begin to know in ourselves those things that cause us trouble. Plato said that the worst thing that can happen to us is to have a lie in our souls, especially about ourselves. These difficulties can even be other people, perhaps even teachers, who interfere with our studies or our our responsibilities, including our responsibilities to God. They can be things like drink or drugs or too much food or laziness. Everyone's heard that old uh, uh, that all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Now I- I'm not exactly sh- sure who this famous Jack is, but I suspect in his own way he is each of us when we confront the notion of precisely self-discipline. Clearly, the notion of discipline, especially discipline one's own self, has to do with the systematic process by which we will acquire a a knowledge or virtue or art. Discipline means instruction, especially organized instruction. 
when we add the notion of self to this instruction, we are indicating that we are ourselves objects of our own rule, our own need to instruct ourselves. Ultimately, no one else can do this for us. Our lives, ours to order, to put some sort of principle or purpose into our many and varied thoughts and deeds. Our lives are also ours to lead in disorder or in an order that deviates from what is. We know what we ought to be. We should not moreover underestimate the difficulty we confront in ruling ourselves. Christianity even suggests that most of us might well need something more than ourselves properly to see and rule ourselves. The purpose of self-discipline in the best sense then is not ourselves. That probably sounds strange. How can self-discipline not rely on ourselves? The the classical writers, I think, used to relate self-discipline to liberty. The person who was most free was the one who had the most control over himself. The person who was most unfree was the one who was ruled by pleasures, money, or power. Self-discipline does not, however, solve the question of what is knowledge or truth or good. In this sense, it is instrumental, something good for the sake of something else. Pope John Paul II put it well in his profound book, the fundamental dimension of man's existence is always coexistence. We are ourselves to be sure, and we are to rule ourselves. But once we have managed to approach this no doubt difficult issue, what remains is the rest of our lives. We can then begin to focus for its dignity, something we should be unable to do or something we would be unable to do if we did not succeed in imposing some self-discipline upon ourselves. Paul Johnson in his book, The Intellectuals, has suggested with considerable unpopularity, I might add, that there is an intimate connection between our moral life and our intellectual life. Sometimes I think the, the history of our times can be described as an argument on whether or not this connection is true. Self-discipline is the beginning of wisdom, not its end. When we have discovered the purpose for which self-discipline exists, we will, if we are sane, because it has enabled us to become free from the very vices and appetites that first prompted us to discipline ourselves. What did you say about self-discipline? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
Self-control is a fruit or outcome of the spirit. Proverbs 25:28 says, "A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls." Uh, let me just read uh, the verses before that. It is not good to eat too much honey, nor is it honorable to search out matters that are too deep, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Honey itself is not a bad thing. It tastes so sweet and and wonderful. I mean, food is such a, a blessing when you eat it for the right reason, but it seems as humans, when we get a taste of something good, our appetite becomes insatiable, and we crave more and more. Oh, self-discipline, self-control, not just, you know, in, in this scripture we're talking about too much honey, but in, in, in everything, especially in, in this day and age. Some things that are good for us can become bad if we don't discipline ourselves. Um, if if we don't use um, the idea of, of, of moderation. Uh, going a little bit further, Romans chapter 7, I think it's in verse, starting in verse 21. He says, so I flaw at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, yeah, I'm talking about self-discipline, but I'm, I, I want to, I can't overstate the fact that we do not have the power in and of ourselves to make ourselves good and holy. Philippians 4.16 says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me, which is which is true. Through Christ, I can. But I I've got to trust in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I can't leave it there. I can't say, Lord Jesus, help me be holy. And then go out and, and sin, get drunk and, and lust and, and, and all the, the other evil desires of the flesh. Just just let my flesh have at it. I've got to believe in our Lord Jesus Christ and I've got to do it. First Timothy chapter 4, 7 through 8 says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself. Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Just as a, a boxer or a UFC fighter 
must train their bodies for the next fight. So we too must always train ourselves for the next fight, the next battle with temptation. When I, when I was in prison, I would work out every single day. I would saddle box for hours on end. I would do my stretches and practice my kicks and, I, and pull-ups and push-ups. Not because I wanted to be in shape. I was training. I knew I was going to be in another fight, and I didn't know when. So I had to train my body up to always be ready. Now in this Christian life, I must do the same. I, I, I must do the same for Christ. Not physically, but spiritually. I mean, even when, when the fighter doesn't feel like jumping rope or running or lifting weights or, or hitting the bag, he does so anyway because he knows it is profitable to his body so that he can win the next fight. And, and so it is with us. I might not feel like reading scripture, praying the rosary, being good to a neighbor that doesn't necessarily deserve my kindness. But I do so anyway because it is good for my soul. It will strengthen my spirit. It will strengthen my spirit so that the next time a temptation or a battle with temptation takes place, I'm ready, prepared to defeat it. The more repetitious I am, the more I deny my flesh and feed my spirit, the more habit-forming it becomes. Worry about these trifling temptations that once controlled my every waking minute in battle. The more time I have to praise and worship God Almighty. And that's and that's the end. I mean that that is the end of it. You you want to be able to free yourself up from the battles. Yeah, okay, everybody and, and, and this is one of the things that always gets to me is that we hear, I mean, even even uh, uh, Catholic priests or uh, other Christians say that, oh, yeah, well, I'm just, I'm, I'm human. You know, I sin. Well, I'm human. Yeah, okay, mankind is a fallen nature. Mankind has fallen into sin. But through Jesus Christ, he has defeated sin. And through Jesus Christ, we too can defeat sin. And I don't want my every waking moment to be a battle with the temptation I should have overcome years ago. I used to be a very angry person. And even when I came into the church, I was still very hot-tempered. And when I lost my cool, I was very uncharitable, to, say, to put it mildly. Through Prayer, sacrifice, and self-discipline, and, and, and let's not go no two ways about it. Self-discipline is a sacrifice, you know. Um, and I, you know, I love ice cream, and, and I like cookies. If I go get a scoop or a half a scoop of ice cream and a cookie, yeah, no harm done. Okay, cool. If I go eat the whole tub of ice cream and eat the whole package of cookies, 
eh, now, now I've kind of overdone it, right? That's where self-discipline comes in. And and when you're talking about battling sin, we, we've got to understand that the more our time is occupied with temptation, with battling against sin, something we should not be doing anyway. I'm going to go back to what I said in the beginning. You do not get rewarded for not sinning. You're not supposed to sin anyway. You don't get a reward because you didn't steal a car today. That's something you shouldn't have been doing anyway. But the devil wraps up our mind with these, these battles with temptation. And like I said, I, I, want, I used to be hot-headed, but prayer and uh, um, self-discipline, basically, you know, um, one of the tricks I used was when I felt myself getting angry, I would uh, step off to the side and pray the rosary. It helped me tremendously. Now it's kind of hard to get me angry. That is not a temptation I face. Every day now. Um, and everybody has their own thing, you know, like everybody has their 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 hiccup, you know, their their I mean, even Saint Paul said that he had a thorn in his flesh and he begged God over and over, uh uh and and, and God said, My grace is, is sufficient for you. So we all have our hang ups. But with self-discipline, when you discipline yourself through prayer, always asking for God's grace, because remembering that you can't do anything spiritually without Jesus Christ. I mean, you can't do nothing. I mean, let's be real. You can't do nothing physically without Jesus Christ. I mean, even the, the those who don't believe in Jesus Christ, they they breathe in and out. That's how they stay alive. The heart beats because of God. Uh, but in a spiritual realm, uh, particularly when it comes to uh, fighting sin and temp temptation, we, we can only do this through Jesus Christ and through self-discipline. Um, you can't pray and say, uh, Lord, help me overcome my addiction to cocaine while you're why you got a bag of cocaine right there ready to do it. Um, that I mean, you can't say, Lord, I'm an alcoholic. Help me overcome my alcoholism. And you got a case of beer and four bottles of whiskey in the, in the, in the free, fris, freezer. You can't say, Lord, help me overcome my, my battle with lust. And you're going up and down the whole stroke where you know it's a bunch of prostitutes all the time. You, you You've got to discipline yourself. You pray, Lord God, give me the strength to do your will. And then you do it. You do it. And it's it's not easy at first. Whatever your temptation is, whatever your hang-up is, it's not easy at first. Just like when you first start lifting weights or when you first uh, start going to the gym or you first start jogging, um, it's not easy at first. At first, man, it feels like them, them weights are going to crush you. But after a couple of weeks, it starts getting kind of easy. And then after a month or two, it becomes a habit. 
And after six or seven months, if you go without it, you 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 feel like you missed something. And it's the same thing about doing God's will. At first, it's kind of hard, you know. And and you got to be disciplined. You got to make yourself do it. But over time, doing it repetitiously, continuously, those those battles with temptation go away because you're no longer tempted. And if you're no longer tempted, that leaves you with a lot more room to do the godly things that Jesus Christ has called you to do. And I I was speaking with Larry um, last week, you know, about the things that God has called us to do. And, And too many of us, we always you know, looking for some extraordinary event that God wants us to accomplish or some extraordinary duty or thing. But many times God just calls us to do the day-to-day things, to be kind to our neighbor, to be his light on earth, to allow the light of Jesus Christ to shine through us. But that light ain't going to shine through us if we're marred down in, uh, in in sins and temptations. Even, you know, because, I mean, let's be real. M- many times sin occurs because we allowed ourselves to be in a position where we can be tempted. Self-discipline will remove you from those situations. And, uh, well, usually I got somebody on the on the uh on the call with me to uh lengthen this to a whole hour but I still got twenty minutes left and that was my entire talk. Well let me go back to this uh true devotion to Mary. All right. <clears throat> Mary made by the hands of the most high is, we all acknowledge, merely a creature. Compared with God's infinite majesty, she is less than an atom. We might say she is as nothing. God alone is he who is. He does not depend on anyone. He, that is God, is sufficient unto himself. He did not and still does not have any absolute need of Mary to accomplish his will and to manifest his glory. To do all things, he has only to will them. But he did will to begin and end his greatest works through her. We may well believe he will not change. He is God. And does not change either his sentiments or his conduct. For the incarnation, it was through her, God gave his only begotten son to the world. For thousands of years, the patriarchs sighed and the prophets and holy men begged, but it was only Mary who was worthy to receive them. She found grace before God by the power of her prayers and the fragrance 
of her virtues. The world was unworthy of receiving the Son directly from the Father, St. Augustine tells us. Therefore, the Father ordained that Christ, his Son, should be given to the world by Mary. Christ became man for our salvation. He did so in Mary and through Mary. God, the Holy Ghost, formed Christ in Mary after he had sent one of heaven's foremost ambassadors to win her full consent. God the Father imparted his fruitfulness to Mary in such measure as a mere creature could receive it. Thus, he gave her the power to produce his divine son and also all the members of his mystical body. God the Son entered Mary's womb as the new Adam in his earthly paradise. In her, he was well pleased. In her, he worked secret wonders of grace. God made man, found his freedom by imprisoning himself in her womb. He revealed his power by allowing himself to be carried by a little girl. He found his glory and that of his father by hiding it from all earthly creatures. Mary accepted. He glorified his independence and his majesty by willing to depend upon her at his conception, at his birth, presentation in the temple, and in, and in his hidden years. He willed she should be present at his death so that he might make but one same sacrifice with her and with her consent by immolating to the eternal father as Isaac was offered as a sacrifice with Abraham's consent to the will of God. She nursed him, fed him, attended him, brought him up, and she sacrificed him for us. A wonderful and awesome dependence of Almighty God. Although in the Gospels the Holy Ghost was revealed, but few of the marvelous things the incarnate wisdom during his hidden life, he could not keep this dependence secret. He let it be known so that we might see its infinite value. Jesus gave more glory to his father by submitting to his mother for 30 years than he would have given him by working the greatest miracles and converting the whole world. What great glory we give God when to please him and to imitate Jesus, our supreme model, we too submit to Mary. Christ willed to begin his miracles by Mary. He sanctified John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth through the words of Mary. No sooner had she spoke unborn babe was made holy. This is the first miracle of grace and the greatest he performed at the wedding in Cana. He listened to Mary's humble prayers and changed water into wine. This is the first miracle of nature Jesus worked. 
He began to work miracles through Mary. Mary. He continues to work them through her. He will go on working them through her until the end of time. God, the Holy Ghost, is barren in God. That is, other divine person proceeds from him. He became faithful by Mary, whom he espoused. It is with her, in her, and of her that he brought forth Christ, his masterpiece. And it is with her, in her, and of her that he brings forth daily his chosen ones, the members of the mystical body of which Christ is the adored head. Therefore, the more clearly he sees Mary, his dear inseparable spouse, living in a soul, the more mightily he works to bring forth Jesus in that soul and that soul in Jesus. We do not mean to say the Blessed Virgin makes the Holy Ghost fruitful. Being God, he is equally with the Father and the Son infinitely fruitful. What I want to say is that the Holy Ghost designs to use the Blessed Virgin to produce his fruits, though absolutely speaking, he does not need to do so. He brings forth in her and through her Jesus Christ and his members. This is a mystery of grace. Even the most learned, the most spiritual of Christians do not understand it. Was the method of operation used by the three persons of the Blessed Trinity in the incarnation and first coming of Jesus Christ. They still work in this way every day, invisibly, in the Holy Church, and they will continue to do so until time ends in the second coming of Jesus Christ. God the Father gathered all the waters together and called it the sea. The Latin word for sea is marriage. He gathered all his graces together and called it Mary. He gathered all his graces together and called it Mary. The Latin is Maria. He has a treasury, a storehouse full of riches. There he has enclosed all he holds, most beautiful, striking, rare, and precious, including his own son. This immense treasury is none but Mary. The saints call her the treasury of God. From the fullness of the treasury, all are made rich. God the Son imparted to his mother all the infinite merits and virtues he acquired through his life and death. He made her the treasurer of all the riches he inherited from his father. Through her, he, he, he showers on the members of his mystical body all his merits, graces, and virtues. She is the mysterious channel, the gentle and generous stream, the gracious aqueduct through which his mercies flow. God the Holy Ghost enriched his 
faithful spouse with gifts undreamed of. And he selected her to distribute all that is his will. And she wills when she wills as much as she wills to whom she wills. No heavenly gift comes to earth that does not pass through her uh, virginal hands. This is the will of God, that whatever we receive, we receive through Mary. Thus does the Trinity enrich, elevate, and honor her who made herself poor, humble, and hidden, who reduced herself into nothingness through her profound humility. These are the sentiments of the church and the holy fathers of the church. If I should confront the proud thinkers of this century, I would bring further proof of all I state here so simply. I would bring in passages from the Holy Scripture and quotations from the fathers of the church. I would give many sound and logical arguments, but I speak for the poor and simple, who, because they have goodwill and more faith than most scholars, better understand the truth. Grace perfects nature, and glory perfects grace. It is certain, therefore, that our Lord is as much the son of Mary, now in heaven, as he was upon earth. He has retained the submission of the most perfect of children toward the best of mothers. Let us be careful here. Let us not suppose that dependence on Mary abases Jesus Christ, or that it is Due to any imperfection in him, Mary is infinitely below her son. He is God. She does not give orders to him as earthly mothers do to their children. Mary is completely transformed in God by the grace and glory that transforms the holy. Hence, she never asks, wills, or does anything contrary to the eternal, changeless will of God. When the saints tell us that all things in heaven and on earth, including God himself, are subjected to the Blessed Virgin, they mean that the authority God gave her is so great that she appears to have the same power as the Trinity, and that her prayers and requests have such an effect upon God that he receives them as commands. He never denies the prayer of his dear mother because she is always humble and conformed to his eternal will. Moses, by the strength of his prayer, appeased God's anger against the Israelites. That prayer was so powerful, the Lord most high, the Lord infinitely merciful, could not resist it. He asked Moses to let him be angry and punish his rebellious people. But the humble prophet prevailed. What then? Must we think of the prayer of the worthy mother of God? It is, not more, is it not more powerful over infinite power than all the prayers of the angels and saints in heaven and on earth? Mary rules over the angels and she is and the blessed 
in heaven. God, to reward her humility, has empowered her and commissioned her to put saints on the thrones vacated by the angels who fell to the pride. The Most High who exalts the humble has willed it so. The lowly virgin he has made queen of heaven and earth. So heaven and earth and 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 willy-nilly hell itself must bend to her command. Mary is the head of God's troops, the treasurer of his treasures, the, dis- distribu- the distributor of his graces, the artis- artisan of his wonders, the co-redemptrix of the human race, the mediatrix of men, Terminator of the enemies of God, the faithful companion of his grandeurs and triumphs. God the Father wants children by Mary until the end of time. He tells her, dwell in Jacob, which means dwell in my children, my chosen ones, those represented by Jacob, nor in the worldlings, the children of the devil represented by Esau. In the natural order, a child is born of a father and a mother. It is the same in the supernatural and spiritual generation. There is a father, God, and there is a mother, Mary. True children and chosen ones of heaven have God for their father and Mary for their mother. Whoever does not have Mary for his mother does not have God for his father. This is why the wicked and the heretics and others who hate or despise or are indifferent towards Our Lady do not have God for their father. If they had Mary for their mother, they would love and honor her as good and true children naturally love and honor the mothers who gave them life. I want to thank you all once again for coming to uh, Taking It to the Streets. Um, fourpersons.com I'm going to close in a, in a short prayer in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit Oh my Jesus forgive us of our sins save us from the fires of hell and lead all souls to heaven especially those in most need of thy mercy Hail Mary full of grace the Lord is with thee Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless, man. Y'all have a good one.
Now, where do I begin? How do I describe? You feel and take a damn for 